1: My side vision about 1010, 10, I was surprised that anybody was here because according to my newsfeed, y'all should be home watching Squid Game, which is what everyone's doing. Listen, 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 I'm not, look, I'm not saying you should, I'm just saying that's what I expected, all right? If you don't appreciate whether Squid Game is blowing up or not, there is an internet service provider in South Korea, like the Telstra of South Korea, who are currently suing Netflix because their users are chewing up too much of the national bandwidth watching Squid Game, all right? Just facts, people, these are facts. Anyway, I think you've chosen well, and the beautiful thing about on-demand TV is you can watch it this afternoon, if you dare. well, hey, listen, this morning, we're launching another new mini-series. Now, last week, we finished our two-week mini-series called Don't Take the Bait, and we got a ton of of uh, incredibly positive feedbacks. That's a me and Jared joke, by the way. Uh, feedback around that, just how, just how helpful that was, helping people understand how to overcome minor offenses and how to break free from major offenses, which are certainly things that, uh, can trap us and hold us back from the calling that God has on our lives. And actually launching a new mini series today, which is all about this idea that God has a calling for us. It's called Dark Horses. Now, this expression, dark horses, I'm aware most of you are probably familiar with it. You may have used this expression, but just to make sure we're all reading from the same playbook, let me give you my definition, the working definition for this mini series. A dark horse is... A little known person I knew that was a spelling mistake. See it says no, but it's meant to say no one, but see that's not a that's according to AI that was spelled correct. It just happens to be the wrong word. a little known person unlikely to succeed who ultimately accomplishes great things, and look, we love especially our soses we love. A Great Dark Horse Story. And by the way, Hollywood knows that we love A Great Dark Horse Story. Ever heard of a film called Rocky? Dark Horse Story. What about Rudy? Dark Horse Story. Braveheart, perhaps. And then probably my favourite of this collection, Gladiator. Not just because Russell Crowe's in it. But all of these movies and plenty more in this genre all have the exact same Storyline, little known person. Nobody thought they could do anything special. And yet the crescendo of the movie is they ultimately went on to accomplish something significant. And we watch these movies in the days where we used to go to the cinema. Now when we just get off the couch, we think we're so pumped up. We're like, man, this is awesome. These dark horses, boy, I wonder if that could be me one day. And then you hear this, Dad, Mom, what's for dinner? Oh, I'm hungry. And you're like, well, that took a little bit of the oxygen from the room. And then you stupidly check your work email and there's something from your boss saying, hey, listen, that report you put in yesterday, it's completely wrong. I need you to do it again before 8.30 tomorrow morning. And you're like, whoa feeling a little less pumped up. And then and then you remember like 11.30 at night, oh my gosh, it's bin day tomorrow. And you grab the wheelie bins and you're walking down the driveway you're like, I bet Russell Crowe doesn't have to take the wheelie bins out. And this feeling that you had at the end of this dark horse story has all essentially dissipated. But I wanna use these two weeks talking about dark horses to underscore the fact that God specializes in taking dark horses and doing significant things through them. We're gonna look at two particular individuals starting today with a guy named Gideon. Now, I'm gonna start at the end of the story, okay? I know this is completely backwards, but let me just set it up by telling you this is how the story ends. Okay? Gideon was one dude living in the nation of Israel at a time where the Israelites had been under the oppression and control of a group of, uh, called, the, called the Midianites from Midian. The Midianites had oppressed and suppressed the Israelites to a point where it's like, they couldn't take it anymore. It it, it was intolerable. And God tapped a guy named Gideon and said, hey, I want you to raise up an army and the army you raise up are gonna attack attack the Midianites on behalf of Israel. And you're actually gonna overthrow them and set the people of Israel free. So Midian went about recruiting this army and got a lot of responses, thousands and thousands and thousands signed up to join Gideon's army. And God said, yeah, you know what? That's too many. Uh, The problem here, the risk that I see is with this many people in your army, if you win, which you will, uh, there's too much risk that you're gonna take the credit, that the win was because of your strength and your smarts and, and the numbers. So we're just gonna cull the numbers a lot. So he drastically sent thousands of these soldiers home. God looked again, It's like, yeah, no, still too many. Sent a bunch more home until Gideon was left with 300, the original 300, long before Jared Butler was Gideon. So Gideon took these 300 only and paired off against 100,000 Midianites and won and scattered the Midianites and set the people free. And I got to tell you, this story is a preacher's paradise. If God is for you, who can be against you? With God, you and God are always the majority. And we're like, yeah, he is. Yeah, we are. And, and, and it's like so good because we love this story. We love how it ends. I mean, wow, when I saw those numbers go down from thousands to a few thousand to 300, I'm thinking, oh, this is not going well. This is, a, boy, I'd hate to be Gideon in this. This is not trending in the direction I expected. And then like every good twist, the director turns it around and the 300 win. And you're like,
0: yes,
1: I want to be Gideon. I don't care if it's bin day. <laughs> but if the MCU has taught us anything, it's that origin stories matter, right, Rachelle? So pop open your Bibles or your Bible app, or if you're not in that way, we're gonna throw these up on the screen too, but to Judges chapter six. So this is in the older part of the Bible. Judges chapter six. This is Gideon's origin story. So we know how it ends, like, but this is the origin story. Spoiler, this is the, the, the dark horse. Origin story. The people of Israel, reduced to grinding poverty by Midian, cried out to God for help. So, I already told you, they literally reached the end of their rope as far as being oppressed by the Midianites. Well, thankfully, in response to them crying out to God for help, one day the angel of God came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah. Yes, that's who Oprah was named after. And this is correct, it's a true story. Her parents spelt it wrong on the birth certificate true story, that belonged to Joash, the Abyssalite, whose son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress. Understand, wheat, winepress, what? Out of sight of the Midianites. Basically, Gideon was hiding. Chicken, terrified. So much so that, you know, sometimes when you're a little bit afraid, you try to look busy, but you're not really accomplishing anything, but like you don't want anyone to call you out. Be like, what? You know, it's like walking around the office with a piece of paper in your hand, like, like you're just going to get another muffin from the break room, but you want people to think that you're actually doing something productive. So Gideon, he's, he's threshing wheat in the wine. Let me, don't, don't go to the slide just yet, but let me, let me show you, those of you who don't live on a farm, 7,000 years ago, uh, if you wanted to thresh wheat, the purpose of threshing wheat was to take the wheat kernels, which you would eat, ground, eat, whatever, and separate them from the the husk or the chaff is what it's called. So what you would do is you'd get your, your scoop of wheat and you would stand above ground in a reasonably exposed, windy place, and you would throw the wheat up in the air and you would stand back and the wind would blow the chaff away because it's just light flaky stuff and the wheat would fall down and that's what you'd ultimately use. So understand, it needs to be above ground, highly visible in an exposed, windy area. But this is an example of where Gideon was threshing wheat. This is a wine press that was excavated from the days of Gideon. It's underground. It's like it's like the prototypical below ground backyard swimming pool right there. He's in there pretending to be busy, pretending to be productive. The people are starving. It's okay, fellas, I got gotcha. you. I'm threshing wheat. He's underground. He's doing nothing. He's hiding from the Midianites. The angel of God appeared to him, and this I, this stuff, I tell you, you couldn't write this. And said to this guy, "God is with you, O oh mighty warrior." Uh-huh. Well, no surprise that Gideon replied, uh, <coughs> uh, "With me, my master." All right, listen, if God is with us. Why has all this happened to us? Honest, growing up prayer right there, by the way. Where are all the miracle wonders our parents and grandparents told us about, telling us, didn't God deliver us from Egypt? The fact is God has nothing to do with us. He's turned us over to Midian. But God faced him directly. And by the way, the the image of this exact moment in time is like, as a parent, you know, you're in the kitchen and you're doing the dishes and you're kind of in there. And then one of your kids says something either to you or to their sibling that is completely, completely out of bounds. And you go, what did you say? (laughs) That is exactly what happened in this moment. But God rubbernecked, snapped his face in his direction and said, listen, mate, go in this strength that is yours, save Israel, from, Gideon's still in the wine press at this stage, right? Just looking busy. Save Israel from Midian. Haven't I just sent you? Well, Gideon said to him, look, me, my master, I mean, how and with what I, uh, could I ever save Israel? I mean, look at me. My clan's the weakest in Manasseh. And, <laughs> and if that wasn't enough, I'm the runt of the litter. God said to him, look, I'll be with you. Believe me, you'll defeat Midian. Is one man. And and what we see in this moment is Gideon is here and God is calling him here. Gideon is hiding from the Midianites, terrified of them because of what they've done, what they've been doing, what they continue to do, hiding in a wine press. Being effectively useless and off the, 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 the radar of anybody, and God saying, I want you to go over here and raise up an army and defeat the Midianites who have been persecuting and oppressing your nation for generations that no one could get rid of, no one could do anything about, you've all considered it it's hopeless, you just have to put up with it. I'm calling you to hear. And what Gideon did is instead of pointing to where God called him to, was calling to, and what God was calling him to do, Gideon was pointing to the gap. And the gap is the inadequacy gap. Everything that God said, instead of Gideon saying, heck yeah, I'm in, sign me up, What an opportunity. They might even write a book about me. There might even be a church in 2021 preaching about me. He didn't point to any of that. He pointed here, said, I don't have this. I couldn't do this. I'd never do this. You've never done that. And stood there for fear that if he moved, he'd fall and fail. And here's the, the challenge for some of us is that we right now, some of us, God is, is actually calling us to something. And yes, it's something we've never done. It's something you may not have even considered yourself capable of doing. It may be something that when God called you to it, you were like, what? Me? Now? Really? Are you sure? And And instead of waiting for God to say, yes, which by the way, he did to Gideon, go in the strength that is yours. Have I not already sent you? I will be with you. Gideon's like, nah, nah, can't do it. Can't do it here. And here's why, and here's why, and here's why. And instead of pointing and and offering to God what God had given him, Gideon spent all of his time and attention pointing to what God hadn't given him. And so he was stuck on the other side of his calling and the thing separating him was the inadequacy gap. So I wanna just spend a bit of time this morning talking and teaching how we can actually bridge the inadequacy gap. But before I do, let's serve up on the table some clues as to maybe where some of the inadequacy comes from for some of us and maybe some light bulbs We'll go on, because if you can define the problem, it's gonna help you defeat the problem. Number one is sometimes the inadequacy comes from unrealistic criticism. And look, to be honest, I think this is the most obvious one. This is the one that I experienced in year 10. I've shared this story with some of you before. Year 10, career day, career day. And Mark Pomery was playing Chatty Charlie, talking when he should have been listening. And the teacher of that career day, he didn't like Chatty Charlie. And so he screamed out across the the year room, Mark Bummery, you'll never amount to anything. Now, I didn't know back then I possibly could have reported him to the teacher's board. I didn't know that. So I just went, oh, that sucks. You'll never amount to anything. That's not cool for anybody to say to anyone, but someone did. And they said it to me. Unrealistic. Criticism, and maybe some of you have experienced this. Maybe growing up, you were told you were worthless. Maybe you've been told by a former boss that you'll never do anything significant with your life. Here's one. When people have a baby, but they didn't plan for that baby to like become a you know, <laughs> human, they say this one, oh, you were a mistake. I'm like, why would you say that? And I tell the parents, if I ever hear that, I say, there are no such thing as accidental children, just accidental parents. <laughs> You're the mistake. You weren't meant to be a parent. God's fine. He loves that kid unconditionally. You're a mistake. But it could have been, it could have been an ex spouse, it could have been an ex boss, it could have been a parent, a relative, giving us this unrealistic criticism, these people that we perhaps had hoped would be helping build the foundations of our lives, but instead they were ripping blocks out of the foundation. And that in some cases can leave us feeling somewhat inadequate. And if we then assume we can't do it, why even try? The second one is, I think, almost maybe even more pervasive, but I think less obvious and it's unrealistic compliments. It's when you say to somebody, a child, uh, an employee, a friend, you can do anything if you just put your mind to it. Well, as much as I love me some good affirmation, much as I strongly encourage encouragements, saying that is ridiculously irresponsible because it's simply not true. When I was in my early 20s, Michael Jordan started blowing up. The NBA was now on one of the four, three, two TV stations that we had here in Perth at the time. And I'm getting caught up in Air Jordan and the guy that's dunking from the free throw line. And in my early 20s, I'm thinking, I'm gonna get good at basketball. I'd never played basketball in my life. I didn't own a basketball. I didn't know where a basketball team you could, nothing. Went to Kmart, probably shoplifted a basketball, might've paid for it. It's a bit blurry to my memory now. But anyway, I acquired a basketball. And I, and I would spend every afternoon, two hours every afternoon down at the High Wycombe Primary School Basketball Court by myself, practicing dribbling. I mean, I think that's what I was doing. There was no YouTube clips back then. And I'm, and I'm practicing shooting and I'm doing two hours a day, every day after work. And I'd square off against my friends from time to time, all of whom played basketball. And it would go disastrously. Like the worst thing. They made a movie about me called White Man Can't Jump. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it was just, it was bad. And if someone had said to me, What well, listen, Mark, just keep at it. Cause you know what? You can do anything if you just put your mind to it. And I would have had to say to them, you know, God can't build on what he didn't install. That's the reality. Right? In fact, the responsible thing for us to teach the people around us is not that you can do anything you want if you put your mind to it. it's that you can do anything God's called you to if you put you, God did not call me to be the next Air Pommery. I mean, I wish my bank account wish he did, but he didn't. And if we set unrealistic benchmarks, we we, we set people up for failure because you know, like I may have got gone into clinical depression in my late twenties if I'd set my singular focus of my life to become the greatest basketball player in the history of the sport. Because I'd never got there. By the way. (laughs) But I never God never called me to that in the first one. And then here's this one. And this one, I think this one's quite obvious. But it's only obvious, it's actually uh, growing. And this is unrealistic comparison. It's always been a thing, okay? But now, as you know, with the advent of social media, it's become more accessible, more instant. I mean, if if you didn't know that social media was a thing, I mean, like a big deal, uh, earlier this week, the Facebook collective went out for six hours. (laughs) Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp. Do you know? There are reports during that six hour blackout of people physically walking to their neighbor's house with the food they prepared for dinner to show them because they couldn't take a photo and post it on the gram and do hashtag food porn. Podcast people, I wish you could see the questioning looks on the faces of the people I'm looking at. We live in what Andy Stanley calls the land of the errs, that no matter how happy you are in one moment, you will always find someone happier. No matter how rich you feel in one moment, you look at your bank account and it's actually printed in black ink, not red, and you think, this is a good day. You'll always find somebody who's rich-er. No matter how much you ace the exam, I got a B. And your friend goes, B, how pathetic. That's like nearly an F. And they show you their A and they didn't even turn up to class. (laughs) Because when you think you're smart, there's always someone smart-er. We live in the land of the errs. But God didn't call Gideon to become a Gideon-er. He called God to become Gideon and do what he's called Gideon to do, not the errs. Now, There is a healthy place for comparison. Number one, instruction. Like someone who's achieved something that God's kind of calling you towards, a healthy marriage, that's good. Success leaves clues. So we can learn from people by comparing ourselves, but learning, not being intimidated. We we can be inspired by people, but again, not be intimidated and not try to copy them, but learn principles and practices that are gonna help you and me bridge the inadequacy gap. All right. Gideon said to God, me, my master, how and with what could I ever save Israel? I mean, look at me, my clan's the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the runt of the litter. This was Gideon's inner dialogue. But God didn't just say, yeah, all right, fair point, mate. Oh, I never noticed that. Come to think of it, I'm glad you pointed that out. I'll, I'll go find someone else. Poor oh, man. Says to his research team, you're all fired. We didn't get any of this in the classified intel about Gideon. He's pathetic. He's in a wine press for God's sake, threshing wheat. <laughs> But you're not who the destructive people in your past said you are. You're not what the failures have left you feeling you are. You're not who and what the moments of doubt and inadequacy say you are. We have to listen, number one, to the most important voice, and that is who God says we are, even if it seems contradictory to the narrative going on in our head, you and I are who God says we are. And God says to Gideon, go in this strength that is yours. Now, I went to Bible college, so you don't have to unless you want to. This word go in the original Hebrew translates go. It, 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 It tells us that God is not your Uber driver, okay? When He says, go, you need to go. Don't wait and hope that somebody else is gonna do the going for you. As long as you're hiding in the wine press, you'll never accomplish significant things. But here's the great thing. God says to the guy hiding in the wine press, go in this strength that is yours. He he saw at least... Uh, grain, no pun intended, of strength that could grow. And Gideon didn't see any of that. God sees more in you than you see in yourself. And by the way, here's the big idea for this message. Stop telling God what you don't have and start using what you do have. Because God doesn't call us to use what we don't have. We can't use, we're not expected to use what he didn't install. So it's not what isn't in our hand. It's what is in our hand. That's the jump off point. And this one, God said to him, I'll be with you. Believe me, you'll defeat Midian as one man. And I I talked about my very short-lived and unimpressive and spectacularly disastrous foray into basketball. Which, which, for a period, including me massively swallowing my ego and challenging, along with a buddy, challenging some of my mates to one on one or two on two or three on three. And always, always I would get it handed to me. I'm talking like always. I did not post a W even once, not even once. But imagine this, I thought about it at the time. If Michael Jordan had gotten on one of his jets and uh, made his way to Perth and knocked on my door in Highwickham and said, hey, MP, it's MJ. How about you and me call one of your mates, landline, dial phone, uh, and challenge them to a little game of two and two down at the High Wycombe Primary School. And I'd be like, oh, it's never gone well for me, MJ. I'm not, I'm not sure I want to do that. And he says, no, dial and I'll be with you. And I'd be like, which of my friends shall I call first? Because I got MJ with me. I mean, hello. I, I would probably sit on the sideline on that game of two-on-two eating popcorn, knowing I was still going to post the W. And this is kind of, God's Gideon, come on, man. Of all of the inadequacies that you've pointed out, here's the one that overrides them all. I will be with you. I'm not calling you to fail. I'm not setting you up for humiliation and embarrassment. I will be with you. So let's go, I'm not your Uber driver, but I'll be in the vehicle. I will go with you. Now, next week, I'm going to teach about Moses and the message is called Bridging the Excuse Gap. Now, I know that doesn't apply to any of you. None of you have ever given God any excuses as to why you can't do what he's called you to do. But if you know a friend, bring them. Bring them, it'll be helpful. Bring them, bring them, come with them, but bring them. But my question is, just, we're just gonna teach on this for two months, and this is still in line of us talking about growing in influence and leadership and doing significant things for God, not hiding in a wine press, not just living in our comfort zone, not just settling for, for our current lot, being content, but not settling. Those are two different things, right, Jared? So being content, thank you for everything I have got, God, but I'm not gonna settle. I'm gonna take that, I'm gonna use it, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to where you're calling me to. I'm gonna go to what you're calling me. And some of you, I'm asking the question today, is there something that God has been or is calling you to and to do specifically that you've been over here telling Him why you can't and what you don't have? And if so, I'm gonna pray right now, bang on schedule, don't look Jenny any green, and uh, then we're done. If that's you, and you know it's you, God knows it's you. And you're in the wine press and God's saying, time to get out, let's go. That's that's gonna be my prayer, but you still have to go. I can't, God can't make you go. God, you can't tell me what to do. Well, He can, but He can't make you do it. That's the difference. You have to choose. God, I thank you that you choose dark horses. If you didn't, probably most of us would be off uh, disqualified, but you choose dark horses seemingly ill-equipped, underprepared, normal, ordinary people to, with you, do significant things. So God, I pray in this moment, you are speaking to people, you're reminding them, you're stirring them, you're speaking your truth to them and that we individually and corporately will be people who step across the inadequacy gap And do the significant things that you call us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love for you to join one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. For those of you beyond the Perth area, we'd love for you to connect with our online experience, which is every Sunday via YouTube and Facebook Live and on demand immediately after. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website elevatechurch.me and also download our Elevate Church AU app.